welcome to another episode of Chris Reed's Book. Welcome back to this, the second episode of my podcast, Chris Reed's Book. I am Chris Pullman, and this week I will be reading to you chapter two out of my first novel, my first science fiction novel, Mystery and Deceit from Earth to Mars. The chapter is titled, My First Visit. So, um, if this is your first episode of this podcast... I would suggest going back and getting episode one, this is episode two, simply for the fact that this is a serial podcast, that is that I go through and read all of the chapters out of my book in order, so this is only the second one, I am re-recording it so that I can get a few more effects to be consistent throughout the podcast, but I would highly encourage you to read, to uh, read, listen, kind of the same thing these days, to listen to the podcast in order, because again, these are chapters out of my book, they are linear, so that will help you with understanding the plot. To do that, you can head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast app and search for Chris Reed's book, or just for me, Chris Pullman. Otherwise, if you don't do the podcast thing, you can head over to narclaninc.com and download the raw mp3 files of these episodes over there. For now, let's go ahead and jump right into Chapter 2, My First Visit. I arrived at Greg's house, 10 a.m. sharp. On ringing the doorbell, I could hear movement within. Someone on the other side of the door was doing something with pieces of metal and wood. Looking at the door, I realized that this house had the old mechanical locks that opened with keys, latches, and tumblers. Quite distinctive. The door swung open, and there stood Greg from L&H. Dr. Pace, do you have some time today we could talk? For long seconds, he simply stood within his home, staring at me. Finally, he stepped aside from the opening and gestured in. I entered and took the place in while he fastened the door's locking mechanisms. Mag locks, I thought, are so much more convenient and secure. The inside of the house felt as spartan as the outside, despite being well furnished. From the entryway I could see through into Greg's kitchen, which had a standard grow garden in it. The light that sustained the plants seemed to flicker ever so slightly. Toward the back of the kitchen I could see a table up against the rear wall of the house, situated in front of a window that overlooked a yard with several fruit trees. To my left was the man's living room, with but two chairs facing each other across a small coffee table. A large bay window, partly veiled by a privacy field, looked out onto Limekiln Road and the typical traffic for this time of day. Against the far wall was a large floor-to-ceiling tiered shelf of plants, some looking purely ornamental, others seemed to be various types of herbs. To the left of the kitchen I could see stairs leading to the second level, with a dining room just beyond. At the table were two chairs opposite each other. No real adornments were on the walls, save a standard weather clock. What furniture there was, while exquisite in design, was very plain and trimming. Possibly the best way to describe the house was minimalist. Greg walked past me and gestured to a chair in the living room as he went into the kitchen. Can I get you something, Mr. Hall? Something to drink? 
Water would be just fine, thanks, I replied as I sat my messenger bag down next to the chair. I heard Greg pouring water from a pitcher before he returned to the living room. So, Mr. Hall, what exactly did you come here hoping to discover? Eric asked me, handing me the glass of water and emphasizing the clay coaster on the end of the table. Today I came with an open mind. I know you're a hero and was curious what historical goodies you had collected over the years, I said, taking a sip of the water as I sat down. Hero, let's get off on the correct foot there, Mr. Hall. Please, Dr. Pace, call me James. He smirked at that. Then call me Eric. I hadn't seen Eric as part of the man's name in any on- or offline sources. Is that a nickname of yours? I asked. I'll explain later. For now, just call me Eric. Greg replied. Okay, Eric. So how should we get off on the correct foot, then? I'm not, as you say, a hearer. I had read him correctly, of that I was sure. With respect, at LNH you reacted like you were, and only hearers have put enough study into the TDF to even know about Project Plymouth, let alone that it all relates to the likes of James Christopher Eric Pullman and the rest of the TDF leadership. Surely it was a cosmic coincidence that this man was telling me to call him Eric. That is a fair assessment, yes, and you certainly did surprise me. Before we go any further, though, how can you be sure I'm not a censor? Just using my knowledge of the past to catch another hero or scum, Greg asked. The thought had occurred to me. However, nothing in your personal history or affiliations indicated that, I said, plus... I had a feeling, and anyway, I said offhandedly, most university people dislike censors even more than the general public. The thought of censorship goes against academic open-mindedness. We simply know their danger to society. But I returned to my previous statement. I am not a hearer, Greg commented. Then you're a TDF agnostic? I asked. Oh no, no no. I definitely hold a very firm belief about the role the TDF played in human history. Seeing it with your own eyes tends to have that effect. I gurgled a reply around some water. Seeing? You have recordings from that era? I managed. Nothing visual survived of the TDF. The government's Department of Censorship had seen to that over the course of time. Only descriptions from newspapers and obscure texts presented any evidence that they had actually existed at all. And the existence of such sources is what forced the censors to continue to operate year upon year. Well, that's not what I meant, no, but I do, yes. Just not readily available right now. Of course not. A thought suddenly struck me. Greg. Eric, he, he countered. Sir, how can you be sure I'm not a censor? Admitting to me he had historical materials would be reason enough for him to vanish forever were I a government censor. I have better and more reliable sources of information than you. It's not that I don't suspect that you're a censor. It's that I know you're not. Something in his tone of voice made me believe that he actually did know. Okay. Fair enough. My mind began to race. The smugness Greg... Eric portrayed. He had something very, very important to share about the TDF, and he knew it. What I knew at the time was that whatever he would share with me would change the very course of my life. 
Then what exactly did you mean by having seen? Are you prescient? You're asking if I can see the future like tarot card readers or psychics. <laughs> no. Thing is, James, that I've been waiting a long time for this day to come. You cannot fathom how long. While some aspects of Martian life were harder on humans than was Terran or Lunar life, Greg's age was still his age. His eyes, though, began to betray something to me. An age appeared in his green eyes that seemed to go well beyond his years, and for a moment his whole head of hair seemed to flash jet black. I blinked, though, and his hair was as it had been. What do you mean? We only met yesterday, I replied. You met me yesterday. I have seen this meeting coming for centuries. I simply could not predict the exact date it would happen. That type of prescient accuracy is beyond even my savant abilities. There is definitely a twinkle of something, excitement perhaps, in his eyes. Greg, Eric, I've got to say, you're beginning to sound a bit unbalanced, and not meaning any offense, but is there a medication you should be taking? I asked gently. How bad do you want to know the absolute truth about the history of the TDF? The real history? He asked, leaning forward. I offer you a choice now to walk away, for things are only going to seem stranger and more surreal the further down this rabbit hole you climb. I may seem off balance now, but I assure you that I'm not. So again, just how badly do you want to know what really happened all that time ago? His question itself brought about a certain fight-or-flight response in me, but my curiosity was unquenchable, as it always had been. This man before me wouldn't be a tenured professor if he was completely off his rocker, so he knew something, and any image or recording from all those years ago would be enough to warrant some present risk. I'm into the hilt, I said. He leaned back in his chair, looking like a commander on a spaceship bridge. Then I do have two things to show you, he said, opening a drawer of his end table. From it, he pulled a piece of paper and what appeared to be an old print photograph. These are delicate due to age, he said, carefully leaning forward, handing one of them to me. The piece of paper was a birth certificate. On it was clearly written, Eric Aaron Pullman, born... 5 May 1980 CE. Suddenly my heart was in my throat and beating at what felt 200 beats a minute. It's a fake, I said, my hands beginning to tremble. It's real, Greg replied. No, it's a fake, I repeated, still staring at it. Eric Aaron Pullman had been the XO, the second in command of the TDF while their co-leaders, James Christopher and Meng Tao, had been alive. Upon their deaths, Eric assumed the mantle of command through the time of the TDF's exile to Mars, during the War of Insurrection against the United Terran government. Years after the Coalition Wars, Eric had been deemed the hero of the Battle of Thermopylae. He had led the counterattack at Thermopylae that stopped a flanking maneuver of one of Cass's highest subordinates. In addition, he had been the commander in charge of the Battle of Chicago, which arguably saved the United North American government. Eric Aaron Pullman was, really, the face of the TDF. And here, on this fragile piece of paper, was his name and an ink print 
of a tiny foot. I would offer you a current print of my foot, but I know that after all these years it wouldn't match anymore. My head snapped up, my eyes locking with his. My mouth went dry. Absolutely not, I managed weakly. First, you claim to tell me that this is authentic. Then you also claim to be this mythic man? No, I can't possibly believe that. It's... It's been too long. Of course it's been. Here, look at this. But be careful with that, he said, pointing at the birth certificate. What he handed me next was a somewhat faded photograph of eight people posing in front of a sign that read, Nar Defense. My mouth felt like a desert. There in the picture was a man of jet black hair and green eyes. I slowly raised my eyes. The resemblance was striking. If it weren't the same man sitting in front of me, then it was a direct descendant whom fate had played a steady hand in creating. My hand shook. The one under my left arm is James Christopher. Under his left is Melinda. To my right is Adam Green. In front of us, from your left to right, are Andre Fremen, Jessica Brune, Meng Tao, and Claire Van Ivan. Of course... There's no real way to corroborate that. As far as I know, among the hearers, there has never been found an actual photograph of any of us, but I can tell that you recognize the company sign. I did. Nard Defense was the company started by Eric, James, Melinda, and Adam after Project Plymouth. Meng, D'Andre, Jessica, and Claire had been brought on as equal partners sometimes later. But you're trying... I managed to say before my voice stuck in my throat. I swallowed several times, my gaze passing between the birth certificate and the photo. You're trying to tell me, I managed, gazing back up at Eric, with a look of complete disbelief, that you're Eric Aaron Pullman. I believe that's what I'm trying to get at, yes. After a momentary pause and shake of his head, he added, I'd seen that face a thousand times before, but to see it in person? <laughs> I mean, I wish you could see the confused expression on your face right now. I'd bet you'd love to ball those up and throw them back in my face, wouldn't you? He asked, smiling. I had been thinking that, but you just can't bring yourself to do it. Because what if I'm not the biggest scam artist this system ever saw? Tell you what, he said, getting up, patting me on the shoulder. I barely noticed, staring slack-jawed at the document and photo in my hand. I gotta take care of a few things at MNU. Why don't you take those with you and have every inch of them scanned and carbon dated? They haven't sat in a time Spencer field a day of their existence. Come back here sometime tomorrow. You should be able to get test results back by then. And tuck those away somewhere safe. They're fragile. My movements, stashing the two objects in the pages of an old print book I had, happened, which happened to be in my bag, as well as walking out to and getting in my car, are still like the near-lost memories of a waking dream. My vehicle's drive to the university itself was clouded in a haze. Somehow I found myself in Tim Fowler's hallway at the door of his office and managed to knock on his door. Come in, came the absent-minded reply. 
He was looking at something on his tablet. When I didn't enter, he repeated, Come in! Then looked up. His face lost most of its color. By the gods, James, what happened? Only somewhat aware of the question, I said weakly. What? You look like you've seen a ghost man. Come in and sit down. He came around his desk and helped me into a seat facing him. Through the windows of his office I could see students walking to and from class, clumps of them talking as they went. The trees swayed gently in the breeze, their dark green leaves a reminder that they weren't an earth-native species. Close the door, I managed. Tim obliged. I looked at him and saw the concern on his face. I furrowed my brow, suddenly confused by that concern. I'm fine, I uttered dismissively. To myself, I thought, what does he have to be concerned about me for? I was just told by a man that he was Eric Aaron Pullman of the TDF, an organization that had been banished to Mars over 400 years ago. A man who, according to the birth certificate in my bag, would be almost five centuries old. The thought itself seemed rational amidst the irrationality of the moment. I was talking to someone, I began as I pulled out the book from my bag. He gave me these. I extracted ever so gently the birth certificate and picture, setting them side by each, facing Tim Fowler on his desk. He glanced at one, the other, back and forth, then shot back from his desk standing and supporting himself on the window ledge behind him. Madre de Dios, he whispered. I met his eyes and asked. Who do you know in the temporal physics department that could be absolutely trusted? We need to carbon date these. Before we headed across campus with our precious cargo, Tim had me relate everything of my meeting with Eric to him. He'd become as speechless as I had been. The concept alone of a founding member of the TDF still being alive was, if not absurd, beyond reasonable belief. From what was known of the TDF armed forces, they were somehow enhanced humans. No records yet existed on enhanced how, but it tied back into whatever James, Eric, Adam, and Melinda had done at Project Plymouth. Could part of it have been extended life? Eric, appearing to be in his late 50s, 60s, could mean something like one decade of age for every century lived. Medical sites, pardon me, is currently very good at extending life, but nowhere near that good. And in checking quickly with the biology department's administrative assistant on the best person to talk to about human longevity, we hit a dead end. Greg Pace. Eric. Upon arriving at the science building, we were greeted by a man named Ahmed Saliba. Tim Fowler told me that he was a casual hero who had dabbled in minor research. His real passion, though, was temporal physics, a field these days that encompassed such talents as precise carbon dating. Tim assured me that while Ahmed may recognize the importance of Eric Aaron Pullman, the company in the photograph should ring no bells. In other words, what we were about to ask Ahmed to do could be passed off as an historical find, for heroes and non-heroes alike. My friend, hello, hello, Ahmed greeted, shaking our hands in turn. My friend, Tim replied. This is James Hall. He was an undergraduate advisee of mine. I had shared with you his findings on the TDF. I shot him a questioning glance. Why do you think I asked your permission to share it, James? It was very solid work. Ah, that, James. Yes, yes, I thoroughly enjoyed the paper. Come, come. Let us proceed to my lab. 
There we can talk about these old documents we have. It is a short walk. This way, this way, Ahmed said, beginning to lead us back into the building. Uh, tell me, James, you are also the James Hall writer for the Times? That I am, sir. Ah, yours is my favorite articles in the paper. Always so insightful and well-researched. Must have been good teaching, eh? He asked over his shoulder at Tim. Could be, but not for me. He was always falling asleep in my classes, Tim replied. Hey, I countered. I only did that when you were boring. Or on a day that ended in Y. We arrived at Ahmed's lab. He closed the door and engaged all the privacy filters on full, blocking out the outside world and creating that extra white glow that accompanied the whited out windows. Now, my friends, what do you have? I very cautiously pulled the book from my bag, extracting the certificate and photo from it. I was given these today, I said. The man who gave them to me claimed that they were authentic. I need to know if they're old enough to be so. I set the artifacts on the tab, pardon me, on the lab table. Ahmed lowered his glasses on his nose and studied them both. Hmm, yes, yes. At first glance, quite old. He gingerly touched the birth certificate. Very old. Uh, this name, I recognize it. Is this the TDF man from your report, James? That is what the man tells me, I said in reply. Uh, so you'll be curious not only about the documents, but the ink too then, huh? Ahmed asked. Pardon? Well, the paper itself could test out old enough to be from the correct time, of course, but the ink could test out otherwise. So you'd want both tested? Ahmed asked, clarifying. Yes, I suppose so. Can you help us do that? I asked in reply. Am I capable? Yes. Am I willing to help fellow heroes uncover some piece of our history? <laughs> Without question. Are you willing to leave these in my possession for a day? I will keep them safest and secret, Ahmed said, glancing up at me without moving. I met his glance, looking at Tim, who gave me a slight nod. The man could be trusted. Sure, yeah, I replied. When do you think you could have the results to me? Oh, it would take a bit longer to do tests off the official. I wouldn't want anyone getting wind of this. Uh, still, the computer should give me a result no later than 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. That fit my schedule. It would give me what I needed in time to have new, informed questions ready for the man claiming to be Eric Pullman. Okay, this sounds good. Would you like my card so that you can contact me? My friend, we both know that to be a bad idea knowing what you are asking me to do. I will get the results in these documents to Timothy who can return them to you. Artists is always a game worthy of some caution, no? Such an assessment put my mind at ease about how Ahmed would handle the tests. Although, to be honest, if the results turn out the way I think they will, you may hear my shouts wherever you may be, Ahmed said with a chuckle. I thanked Ahmed for his help, and we parted ways, Tim heading back to his office and I back to my house. That night I found myself unable to have any sort of restful sleep. My brief meeting with Eric kept rolling itself over and over again in my head. I tried every mind-clearing technique I knew to force my mind away from the issue at hand. None worked. If Ahmed came back with evidence that the certificate and photo were the proper age, did that prove that Greg Pace was really Eric Aaron Pullman? For that one last night, uncertainty remained for me. I couldn't be sure if it, if Greg Pace was Eric Pullman or not. I also couldn't be sure what it would mean if he was. After all, for a hero of centuries ago in Earth's history to still be alive, 
especially in a time when the Terran government was doing all they could to suppress the very idea that he had existed in the first place, what better counter-evidence could there possibly be? Such thoughts kept racing through my head all night as I contemplated the impossible reality that stood before me. As light shone through my windows, I began to ask myself what I would say to them, to him, to the man, if his claims were substantiated. What could I ask such a man? Tell me everything from the beginning? Nearly five hundred years could not so easily be related. No, I, I would have to focus the conversation, guide it towards specific ends, try to fill in the massive gaps that history had left. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease, reclining on the cushion's velvet lining with the lamp-like gloating o'er, goes Poe's poem. I had arranged with Tim Fowler to meet him for some early morning coffee on campus prior to heading back to his office to see the results. He, like I, had kept awake all night by possibilities of the thing. Before meeting me, he had stopped at his office to secure the envelope Ahmed had left there waiting for him. Not wanting to open it in public, we yet wanted it kept close until we did. We made our way back to Tim's office, where he broke the seal on the envelope. Inside were the certificate and old photo, now sealed in protective coveralls. A letter and fact sheet had also been slipped inside. The letter read, I burned the midnight oil. So excited was I of this. Shortly before six this morning, the computers finished their analysis. On the included fact sheet, you can see for yourselves the results. To have such important documents in my hand has brought me indescribable joy. These both are indeed from the time period we seek. The birth certificate, ink and all, matches the date thereon inscribed. The photos are from 32 years later. I do not understand significance, but assume one of yous will. Please, to share such with me when you find it. The coveralls I have placed on these will not prevent carbon degradation, and so will make future carbon dating yet possible. They will, however, protect both documents from the typical atmospheric contaminants all old documents face. Keep these safe, my friends. They are a great find for the cause. Yours, A. So there it was. Neither Tim nor I could say anything for some minutes. We both kept rereading the letter to make sure that we had not misread it. The birth certificate was real. The photo was real. We had before us real evidence, hard evidence, primary evidence that not only had Eric Pullman existed, but that the rest of the senior TDF officers did, and that they had all worked together at NAR Defense, a company that had actually existed. Finally, with an eye on the clock, I said to Tim, I've got to go. I'm meeting him again soon. He looked up at me. I don't ask you to take me with you but I would like to hear about it afterward. Yeah, I replied. What are you going to ask him? Tim queried. Actually, Tim, I, I don't know yet. There's so much, I said. I know. Just do me one favor today, huh? Be sure to tell him how important he is to us. I mean, you don't get to talk to a legend just every day. Will do, Tim. See you later. I left his office and headed once more to Eric's house. Did doubt still linger in my mind? Of course. While the birth certificate and photo were the right age, no one alive could truly verify their authenticity. But I wanted to believe that he really was Eric Pullman, that somehow he really had survived 
all these centuries and really could answer my questions. Then, just as panic began to set in, as I realized I had no prepared questions, no clear direction for this meeting with Eric, I found myself in front of his house once more. With the coverall documents in my messenger bag and a fully charged and prepared note tab, I mounted the steps to Eric's front door and rang the doorbell. I heard someone stirring within, and soon enough I heard the mechanical sounds of latches and tumblers as the locks of the door were being released. The door opened. And that's chapter two, my first visit. Thank you for downloading and listening. Thank you for sharing this with a friend, a family member, a co-worker, someone who you think would enjoy it. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to the channel. Go out there to iTunes, to your favorite i, uh, to your favorite podcast application. Subscribe to the channel. You'll get all the new episodes as they come out. If you'd rather just download them individually, head over to my website, narclaninc.com, and link up with me on Facebook, on Twitter. Every time I put out a new episode, I post the link there, so that even if you don't do the podcast thing, you can download the raw MP3 file from my website. That way you can put it on like an iPod, something like that, an MP3 player, and listen to it that way. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact me on Facebook, on Twitter, or just email me at chrisreadsbook at narclaninc.com. With that, I wish you a good week, and we will see you next time.